and welcome to the Word of Life Church Podcast. We're delighted you've chosen to spend some time with us today. We believe that today's message has the power to inspire and elevate your faith journey. Before we dive in, we'd like to express our heartfelt thanks to our partners. Your generous contributions make it possible for us to continue spreading the gospel, serving our community, and carrying out our ministry. If today's episode moves you and you'd like to be a part of our mission, we'd invite you to become a partner. Your support has an everlasting impact and allows us to reach even more souls. Now, let's turn our hearts and our minds to the Word as we begin today's episode. Matthew chapter 2, and we're going to read about the wise men. Matthew chapter 2, and let's look here in verse number 9. And after hearing the king, this is talking about King Herod, they, they being the three wise men, the magi, as they're otherwise known, went their way, and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And after coming into the house, they saw the child Mary with his mother. And watch this. I never noticed this. I don't know why. I read this story for years, but I never noticed this next part. And they fell to the ground. And worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, not their nations, not their people, their treasures. They presented to him gifts of gold, which is for a king. Frankincense, which is for a priest, that's what they burned in the temple. And myrrh, which was to anoint someone for their burial. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. And when they saw King Jesus, they fell to the ground and they worshipped him. They opened up their treasures and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Um, These men were very powerful. They were kings. Um, They weren't just like wise men. They were kings. And they had made their way from the east. Many of the theologians tell us uh, what would be Persia or modern-day Iran. This journey would have taken them months, but they're astrologers. They would look in the heavens, and they saw this star, which was the, the star of Bethlehem that pointed them towards Jesus. They knew that whoever this star rested upon would be the king of kings and the lord of lords. So they come into Jerusalem following the the star. And when they come into Jerusalem, it causes a stir. Now, I don't know if you've ever been with someone or around someone that when they walked into the room, it just caused a, a stir because of how popular they were. But here, the whole city of Jerusalem went wild over him, and they got audience with King Herod. Now, uh, I don't think that that's ever happened to me, where like, it's like, oh, he's here, let's take him to the president, or (laughs) that kind of thing. Or like when you walk into a place, everyone just goes wild. So it's more than just a political figure, it'd be like a celebrity as well. So it's someone who's like over a nation, but has the popularity of someone like Taylor Swift. So it sends the, the people into an uproar in Jerusalem, but they also get automatic audience with the king. These are how powerful these men are. And when God leads them to King Jesus, 
When they see him, he's in, you know, baby or, you know, they say anywhere between nine months and two years old. And they see him. They fall down on their knees and worship him. Now, let me just say something right off the bat here. Uh, I am not in the business of condemning anyone. Um, Genuinely, I, I always want you to feel good when you leave our services inspired, filled with hope, filled with faith, but I also want you to feel challenged. Uh, I I don't want you to leave uh, comfortable. You don't grow when you're comfortable. You grow when you're challenged. And so I, I want you to be challenged as well. And so what I'm about to say, don't allow any condemnation in your heart, but also don't allow your soul to leave this place unchallenged. When is the last time you fell down on your knees in worship? Um, Genuinely, for months, they sought to find Jesus, to find him in their lives, to find him in their world. And when they found him, they felt these powerful men, these famous men, these celebrities, These kings, when they found them, these powerful men, in the presence of others, fell down on their knees, fell to the ground, and they worshipped him. And what strikes me is at this moment, he hasn't done anything. It's it's worshipping him for what he will be. But yet in seeing who he is and who he will be, it is enough to make these powerful men fall down on their knees, on the ground, and worship him. There is no worship without the display of worth. Worship, in fact, comes from the word worthy, And when you worship somebody or something, you are showing them at your core what they are worth to you. And these wise men are demonstrating not just with their giving, but literally with their physical bodies. What this baby, what this child is worth to them. And this has just struck me the, the whole week. And I think part of it is I, I have had, honestly, the honor to go to several different places here recently with a lot of Christians. And some outside of the norm of whom I'm, I'm around on a, a genuine, typical basis. Like, I, I travel a good bit. Tomorrow I go to Columbia. I'll be doing a, a, a meeting there, the nation Columbia, not Mississippi. Uh, so, <laughs> I, I, Columbia, Mississippi's great, but just for clarity. Uh, so the, the nation, uh, and I'll go down there. So I, I go a lot to a lot of different places. But, but here recently I've seen other parts of the body, and I love the body of Christ. It's so beautiful. We all add different things, and there's a church for everybody. I love that, but I've been struck here recently, if I'm being honest, by in some of the the places that I've been, uh, it's different than like what I'm used to. I'm used to a little bit more freedom of worship and freedom of expression. That's just, you know, kind of the environment that I've set, 
But one of the things that I found very intriguing to me is that in these environments, the people who were over them were asking the people who were Christians, just, you know, a little bit different style, I guess you would say, of worship, were imploring them to see the worth of Jesus and to give him thanks and glory that was due unto his name. And then after it, I... I, I didn't see it or feel it. And it struck me as interesting. Now, I, I am a part of, a, you know, a spirit-filled church, and I've been a part of one for every year of my life. And I have definitely seen things done in services that grieved me. Things that would be excessive or things that would be out of the norm or things, I think, at their core that just brought attention in all the wrong ways towards somebody, that it was so um, attention getting on them that it took attention off of the Lord and off of the work of the Spirit. It ran counterculture to the, the Spirit that was in the room, and it was done in ways that was, look at me. And in any time that's happening in worship, it should grieve us, um, because the, the goal of this is to not be uh, focused on each other. It's, it's not seeing someone else. It's seeing the Lord and his worth to you and that moving you in some way. And for all of us, that's different because we're all different personalities. I'm more of a logical thinker than an emotional feeler. So there's definitely others who are more demonstrative in their worship than I am. And it doesn't make them right and me wrong or me right and them wrong. It's just difference of personalities. Um, but so I, I've been in those moments where I've seen what, what I would call excess and it kind of grieved my heart, but I'll tell you what, 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 what grieves me a lot more is that if wise men can come and see Jesus in his, his baby form and, and worship him for who he is and what he will do, like fall to the ground, it said and worship him, how much more can we, after not only he has been born, but died on a cross for us, went to hell for us, raised from the dead for us, like, and I'm just talking about the things globally, wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace being upon him, by his stripes we are healed, like just the things globally he has done for us, and don't even make me get specifically of what the Lord has done for you specifically in your life. His patience with you, his kindness with you. Where would you be without the Lord Jesus? Like, honestly, where would you be without his patience and his grace? Like, I, I think about in my own life of, of how good he has been to me and the, the wonderful displays of his patience and his kindness and his favor and his protection over my soul and over my family. And so what worship is, is, is literally having a moment where you put yourself in remembrance of that. That you, you pause long enough. This is not like the singing part of the service is not a sing-along. And it's not where we're going to put the most talented people on our stages and you walk away saying, my word, they can sing. That's not the point. 
The, the point is, is that we have moments and experiences, and for us, we like to dim the lights, and I think talented people help with the next point I'm about to make, that out of that, you have something that reminds you of the majesty of Jesus, of who he is, and what he has meant to you and your family. And if you're here and you're not a believer, this is not for you. Like, because we want you to come to this realization. But for those of us who have called upon the name of Jesus and we have seen his graciousness and his kindness and his mercy, worship is not the thing we walk out on. It's, it's not the thing we come late for. It's not the thing that we, we don't engage in. It's not singing. It's, it's a moment for us to break away from our world and to focus in on our God and to say, God, you have been wonderful to me. Like, I see your goodness in my life, and I see your, your patience and your kindness with me, and so let me, like the one leper, come back and tell you thank you. And I don't even mind doing it with a loud voice, because this is not about me, and this is not about any of these other things. It's just, I see how much you are worth to me. Uh, here in um, our ministry, we're blessed with, with honestly the best team I've ever been blessed with. And I have been focused very strongly on Act 6 the last couple of years of building a team around me of people who can handle the business end of ministry so I can give myself to prayer and the ministry of the word. And um, I've been so blessed by that. And, and so I've got people around me uh, who did not go to seminary or that type of thing, but manage businesses. And I have them help, you know, manage things. And uh, I am so thankful for them. And I pray for them often. And a couple of months ago, I was praying for them. And I felt compelled, like the Spirit of the Lord was speaking to me about my life, my bent, and theirs. And talking about in Acts 6... God looked for people who were filled with wisdom. And, you know, the Lord really spoke to my heart and he said, like, in so many people, there are two kings, King David and King Solomon. Solomon was known for his wisdom. And, and for most of you, like, listen to me, just bear with me with all of our campuses. Like, you make your income from secular work and out of that, you need to be filled with wisdom. Wisdom is the principal thing. You need to be reading to be as good as, on your job as you, you can be. Um, you need to be studious. Listen to podcasts about your work. If you're going to do your work, do it as unto the Lord. Be as good at your work as you can. That gift, it'll make room for you. It'll bring promotion. A faithful man will abound with blessings. Like There's a principle there. And in my own life, because I started pastoring when I was 19... If anybody has ever told me they're praying for anything about me, it would be, uh, Pastor Joel, we're praying that you would have wisdom. And so since 19, if I had a dollar for every time I've heard that, Lakeland would be paid off. Like it's, I, I get that a lot of like, we're praying for you to have wisdom. And in my life, I have seen that. And I'm not saying it braggadociously. I didn't go to college, but there is a difference between being smart and being wise. Smart knows a lot. When you're smart, you know a lot. When you're wise, you know what to do. There's a big difference. Wisdom can sort through all the smart and see what to do in the moment. And when it's done, it works. 
Which is why you want to pray for wisdom and not just read for wisdom. Is because God can show you out of all the stuff you're reading, out of all the people you're getting counsel from, here's what you need to do. And when you do it, it'll work for you. So we need wisdom. But when you look at the wisest man who ever lived, King Solomon, it didn't end well for him. And if you lean on nothing but wisdom, it will not end well for you either. If you encounter struggles and you're looking at this all from the natural and like, what should I do? What should I do? What should I do? And you've got something going on with your kids. It's like, what do they say? What do they say? What do they say? God, like, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And I lean only to the natural. It'll hurt you in the long run. Because what gave birth to Solomon and what preceded him was King David. And he was not known for his wisdom. He was known for his heart. And what David had in spades is what you and I need. We, we need wisdom. But Solomon can't ever come before David. David at his core was a worshiper. He saw the Lord all throughout his journey. And when I, saw, when I say he saw the Lord, I'm not talking about like he saw miracles, although he did. What I'm saying is King David, no matter how successful he got, he never thought it was him. He saw the Lord. Never more so than when his first act of king was bringing in um, the, the altar of God, the Ark of the Covenant, back into Israel. And I just want to take a moment to, to read this to inspire you. So let's, let's go over here and look at it. 2 Samuel chapter 6. King David is bringing in the Ark of the Covenant. This is something that in his day and age was the manifest presence of the Lord. This was in the Holy of Holies. Um, On the day Jesus died, the curtain that was in front of the Ark of the Covenant, the Holy of Holies, was ripped from the top to the bottom. Because it was God saying, now my presence will not be isolated to one place because of Jesus. The whole world can be of holy of holies. And anyone who calls upon his name with desire can press in and worship him. But before this moment, the presence of God was isolated to one place and it was wherever this ark was. Now, the Bible records that when Saul, because Saul came before David, was on the earth, they inquired not of the Ark of the Covenant, meaning no one really cared that much about it. But when David became king, his first act was, you know what I'm doing? I'm bringing God's presence back to my work. I'm bringing God's presence back to my nation. I'm bringing God's presence back to my home. I'm bringing God's presence back to my family because I see we need the Lord. And so he goes to get this ark, and, you know, if you've read the story, uh, he doesn't have it carried right. The priests don't carry it. He puts it on a cart because it's a long journey. And out of that, it hits a, it must have been driving in Jackson, it hit a pothole. (laughs) And (laughs) I joke, I kid, love Jackson. Bless it in Jesus' name. Uh, So out of that, it hit uh, like a pothole, and it began to tip. And someone touched it, and when they touched it, they died because you can't have pure holiness. Just just touch pure darkness, and it go well for darkness. When light comes on, darkness leaves. And so that's why they had to have a blood sacrifice uh, before going into it. And now Jesus is that. 
Um, but anyway, David's like, I don't want that necessarily, you know, in my palace while I'm walking around, you know, at night and, you know, that kind of thing. Like, I don't want to bump into it by accident. So he leaves, it, you know, the closest house in Obed-Edom's house. And they come and they write to David and they tell him, everything in, listen to this, everything in Obed-Edom's house is prospering since the presence of God came in it. Success leaves clues. Don't make it complicated. Don't, don't make it complicated. They write to David and they tell him, look, since you left the presence of God at Obed-Edom's house, everything in Obed-Edom's house is prospering. And the only difference is the presence of God wasn't there, now it's there, and everything is different. And so David's like, I'm going to go get it again. So he goes and gets it. And when he does, he does something very interesting. He takes off the garment of a king that I don't want to be identified by my status, what I do for a living, that today in this moment, my identity is not found in my position. It's not found in my income. It's not found in my status. He takes off the garment of a king and he puts on a linen ephod, which was the garment of a priest the garment of a worshiper. And watch what he begins to do here in 2 Samuel 6 and verse uh, number 14. And David was dancing before the Lord with all of his might. Now let's just take a time out here. What's the last thing you did with all of your might? (laughs) You know, when I think about even in my own life of what am I using my might for? And for David, it's like, you know what I'm using my might for? I'm going to worship him. And he's worshiping the Lord with all of his might, wearing a linen ephod. And so David and all the house of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouting. And the sound of a trumpet. Then it happened as the ark of the Lord was coming into the city of David that Michael, the daughter of Saul. Now this is, this is so interesting because uh, they didn't do this in her household growing up. Uh, King Saul uh, was not what we would call a quote-unquote worshiper. And so she is a product of her environment. Which is why it's important for you as a parent to ask yourself what type of environment are you setting in your own family. She was not taught to see this as valuable. She was not taught to see this as even necessary. And so because she didn't see this as valuable or necessary, the only paradigm she has is a direct compare and contrast between her husband and her father. This is interesting. You know, it's a childhood wound. I mean, she never saw her father do this, and her husband is in the exact same... You talk about, like, dysfunction. Her husband is in the exact same position her father was in. Like, same palace, same throne, same everything. The house she grew up in as a daughter is now the house she reigns in as a queen. Uh, And so out of this, she's watching her husband demonstrate an entire different set of values than her father. 
And while all of us could kind of like look at those things in our own lives, I think this is an important part of the story is for you to understand while you may have had things happen in your childhood, you have to take responsibility for your life now. And that just because you didn't see it in your childhood doesn't mean you can't bring it to your children. Come on, somebody. Like, you've got to make up your mind. Like, if she would have asked herself, well, how did that work for him? What was the end result? Wisdom, I love Jesus said this, wisdom is justified by its offspring. What does it produce? And if she would have looked at, like, the way my father lived, what did that produce? She would have immediately had a light bulb go off. But she's not. She's looking at her husband and she's judging it by what she saw her father do. And she's like, I never saw my father do anything like that. And watch what happens here. She's watching him. The daughter of Saul, she's looking out of her window and she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. Now this word despise would would mean to look at and be like, that ain't necessary. You know, you don't need to be doing that. You know, that kind of thing. And that's her attitude, not just about David, but about what? Worship. That's not necessary. You don't have to do that. And it's magnified because David comes home. And credit to David, man. He's like, I'm not just going to bless the nation. I'm going to bless my house with God's presence. So he's like, okay, like we had a great time in church, but you know what? I don't want just this at church. I want to take God's presence with me in my home. And so out of this, the spirit that was happening in the church, he's wanting to bring to the house. And so watch what happens here in verse number 20. But when David returned to bless his household, Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel distinguished himself today. Now, are any of you versed in the language of sarcasm? Do do any of you you understand uh, that if you just read that on surface, it would be like, okay, yeah, yeah, very distinguished. But no, it's so sarcastic. Um, She is mocking him. But once again, it's not just him. It is what? Worship. It's not necessary to act that way. It's not necessary to like do all that with your body. It's not necessary to, you know, shout for joy. And she's mocking it. And watch what, what happens here. And she's like, you uncovered yourself today in the eyes of the maids and the foolish ones shamelessly uncovers himself and what she's talking about here is not David like taking his clothes off what she's saying is is you made yourself like them when you took off your kingly robe you made yourself like them which was his point exactly and out of this she's mocking him I'll move on and so David said unto her it was before the Lord Notice that statement. Who's his mind on in that moment? The Lord. It was before the Lord. Who, now he's getting personal. Who chose me. He could have left this out. Who chose me above your father. And above all of his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord. Therefore, I will celebrate him. Watch this, verse 22. This is, this is what I want to get at. I will be more lightly esteemed. Than this, watch this, 
and I will be humble in my own eyes. What is worship? Worship is looking at your life and realizing everything good is there because of the Lord. And we said this two weeks ago, what is not turned into praise always turns into pride. And when you're looking at the good things in your life and you are not giving God glory and honor, what you're saying subconsciously and literally is you did it. And David has had some amazing things happen in his life. Like he's seen giants fall in front of him. He's seen favor given to him. Now he's king. But he can remember a day where his own daddy forgot him in a field. But God found him in the middle of that place. And ever since then, how the spirit of the Lord had come on him and lifted him up to the place he was at. And David's like, I know, like there's been some neat things that have happened. And I know I probably done a few things that kind of helped out. But let me tell you what I also know. If it wasn't for the goodness of God in my life, I would not be where I'm at today. And when you see me worshiping like this, all I'm saying is to myself, you didn't get here by yourself. You got here with the help of someone else. And you know who it is? It's a God whose mercy endures forever and has always been faithful. And so, yeah, there will be moments where I make myself base. And there will be moments where I like lift up my hands. And there will be moments where my body corresponds with how I feel in my heart. Because what I feel in my heart is if it was just up to me and I got only what I deserved, I would never be here. That if I got what I deserved truly, without the blood of Jesus, without the forgiveness of Jesus, Without the patience of Jesus, if I just got what I deserved, I would not be here. And you know what's sad to me is she never changed. And the Bible says that the rest of her life she was barren. Now, the the Old Testament is written physically and you interpret it in the light in the New Testament spiritually. And what this is teaching is, is that when I am not allowing my heart to see Jesus and be captivated by the worth of him, that there's just certain things physically that will not be unlocked. That a life without worship is limited to the best you can do. But a life with worship unlocks something you never could. And when God's presence came in Obed-Edom's house, it just unlocked something Obed-Edom couldn't even bring to it. And David is like, I want that in mine. And what I want to encourage you is like, even when we talk about giving and we'll take up the big give next week and we'll we'll talk about giving being an act of worship. But all all giving is, is just that, that next step of worship that just says, God, I see you. And I know I would not be here without you. And so this is not me giving because I want a tax write-off. This is, this is giving because I understand your worth. And so today at all of our campuses, I just want to take a moment and worship. Just, just a moment where we come and we tell the Lord, we love you, we see you, we honor you. 
that the, the fabric of our life is, is you. And that looks different for us all. And it's not defined by a certain movement or lack of it. Don't, don't fall into anybody else's narrative of what this is supposed to look like or not. This is just you not singing. This is you taking a moment to, to see his worth. And for me, a lot of times, it's just eyes closed and I'm right here. And, and some could look at that and think maybe he could give more or less, but I don't care. It's not for you. <laughs> but just having a moment where you're genuinely in awe of him, where in your own moment you, you, you are seeing, you've gone on a journey, just like those wise men, in your life to find him, to find him in your story, to find him in your family. And when you see him there, you just pause to say, thank you. Father, let us come at all of our campuses. You can stand at whatever campus you're at. Father, let us come today and worship. Let us come today and give thanks and praise. Let us come today and surrender our hearts and our minds this holiday season, this Christmas season, to say you are not only the reason for this season, you are the reason for every single good thing in our homes, in our families, and in our lives. Jesus, you reign over all. And so each of us today, we humble ourselves and we, we say thank you. And we humble ourselves and we say you deserve it all. And we humble ourselves and we say we love you, Jesus. And we are so thankful for the good things in our life. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.